Welcome to Banking on Credit Unions, your leading law podcast dedicated to credit union matters. Hosted by Jim Sorensen from the elite team at SVL Law, where they specialize in collections, bankruptcy, and foreclosure law designed for credit unions. From landmark cases to innovative legal strategies, Banking on Credit Unions podcast is here to shine a light on the legal pathways impacting your credit union. If you want to uncover legal insights designed just for you, listen and join the conversation. Let's get started. Good afternoon, Jim. It's great to be able to sit here um, and today and talk with you about the effect a member of filing bankruptcy has on the credit union's collection department. Um, so you can best protect yourself um, as a credit union. So welcome to Banking on Credit Unions. I'm Blair Boyd, and I'm here sitting down with my partner, Jim Sorensen, um, where we discuss the credit union industry and the issues and challenges facing them in an ever-changing environment. Um, it's our first episode with content. How are you feeling, Jim? I'm feeling good. I'm excited. I'm excited to uh, kick this off. Um, been wanting to do a podcast for a while, and uh, I'm excited that you and I are kicking it off first. Um, I guess uh, you know you 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 are the lucky uh, <laughs> partner in the firm to get to join me and be here on the first episode. So uh, we'll we'll set the we'll set the bar high for uh, everybody else from here on out. There we go. Now I want to remind everyone: go to our website. It's svllaw.com, where you can find all of the episodes, these episodes, as well as a host of other other information on our law firm. Um, so back to the show. Today, we're talking about bankruptcy. And so you can best protect the credit union. Let's just dive in. Um, quick, Jim, what's, give us a little quick overview of what bankruptcy is. Yeah, so bankruptcy is, um, is a process whereby a person is able to deal with debts they're unable to pay, you know, in a, in a broader or deeper sense, the U.S. Constitution actually provides for a bankruptcy process. That process is is codified or, or written down in federal law. Um, it's known as Title 11, um, and uh, that is where you find it in the U.S. Code. And it's a law that is set up to deal with borrowers, both individuals and businesses, um, who have accumulated debt and are having trouble paying that debt. And uh, the bankruptcy laws provide how a borrower is able to either uh, file bankruptcy and do what we call liquidating bankruptcy or file what's known as a reorganization bankruptcy. All right. So are there different types of bankruptcy and which um, ones are the credit unions most likely to see? Yeah. So there are different types of bankruptcies. There are um, chapters. Most people who probably are listening to this podcast um, have heard of the, these before, at least even if you're not uh, involved in bankruptcy matters at a credit union or you haven't dealt with bankruptcy matters, you know that bankruptcy um, chapters, we've heard it in the news. Um, so the one that you hear in the news a lot is a chapter 11. That's what typically bigger businesses file, although individuals can. Um, but, the, but they go in order. So it's chapter seven. Um, that's probably the most common, uh, especially in Florida. We see more chapter sevens than we do the rest. In the credit union industry, Georgia would be a little different. Um, those are chapter 13s. Um, there's a chapter nine that deals with uh, municipalities and, and governmental um, 
entities that file bankruptcy. Uh, we don't deal with those. Credit unions don't deal with those. Those are rather rare. There's the chapter 11 I've already mentioned. And then there's a chapter 12 that is not as broad, but it's, it's for family farmers and fishermen. Um, and uh, it's limited to a certain type of debtor who's in the industry of what's, what's called a family farmer or a fisherman. There's specific definitions under the law. The, the two we normally deal with in representing our clients and what most of our credit union clients deal with are chapter sevens and chapter 13s. And those are usually in the consumer context, meaning individuals filing bankruptcy, not in the commercial or uh, business setting. Yeah. So what is the first thing, most important thing a credit union can do when they are become aware a member has filed bankruptcy? Yeah. So the, the first thing that the credit union needs to do when they learn that a, a member borrower has filed bankruptcy is they need to immediately take action to um, stop any event or any actions from happening that could violate what's called the automatic stay. So um, this includes everything from stopping the mail to stopping litigation to stopping collection efforts, repossessions, and the like. So making sure that the credit union has a process whereby once a debtor informs the credit union that they have filed bankruptcy or the credit union received notice of the bankruptcy, that process kicks in and those things stop. So the automatic stay, that's, you know, that's the big thing. Is there a difference in the automatic stay between a chapter 13 and a chapter seven? There is. Um, so in, in both of them, there's the automatic stay, I've mentioned that, it, think of it like an automatic injunction. This is something that prevents the debtor, or excuse me, prevents the creditor, in this case, the credit union or clients, from being able to take action to enforce a debt, to recover collateral. Um, those types of actions is what it, what it prevents. And so the automatic stay happens automatically um, when the debtor files bankruptcy, hence the name. That's uh, real creative. It's a real creative name. Um, but there are differences in a chapter 13 and also in a chapter 12. There is what's called a co-debtor stay. So in the normal bankruptcy, if we're, if we're going to refer to a chapter 7 as a normal bankruptcy or a chapter 11, the automatic stay only protects the person or the entity that filed bankruptcy. So if I file bankruptcy and Blair and I have a debt together, the bankruptcy filing would protect me, but it would not protect Blair, who would be a co-borrower, a co-obligor on that debt. But if I had filed a Chapter 13 bankruptcy, there is a co-debtor stay. And that co-debtor stay protects non-filing co-debtors who are on a loan or debt with me if I'm the filer. So in, that, in the example I just gave, if I file a Chapter 13 and Blair and I have a debt together, Blair is also protected. So again, the co-debtor stays exist in Chapter 13s and Chapter 12s. They do not exist in 7s or 11s. So what advice would you give if a member that has filed bankruptcy has funds in a checking a savings account? So this is a question we get a lot, you know, they, uh, from, from our clients, I know you field this question a lot, uh, 
our, our clients will call in and or, or email us, reach out, and they'll say, you know, John Doe has filed bankruptcy and they owe us this amount on this loan and this amount on this loan, but they have $1,000 in their account. It's never a round number, but for example, I'll say $1,000. They have $1,000 in an account. Can we take that money and apply it to the loan? Um, and so that's, that's the typical question we get, right? Yep. So, um, in that scenario, the answer to that, which people who, who know me and heard, have heard me talk before, will know what about, I'm about to say is I'm going to say what you can do with that money depends. So if that money is in an account belonging to John Doe, the person who filed bankruptcy, then that money is going to be protected. Um, and so in that situation, the automatic stay would prevent the credit union from being able to set off against those funds in that account. Yep. But the, the follow-up question becomes, can we freeze the funds? We know the debtor has filed bankruptcy. We know we cannot take that $1,000 and apply it to the outstanding personal debt they have or whatever you want to call it. Um, holiday loan, um, et cetera. Um, we know we can't do that, but can we place a hold on it? Can we freeze those funds? And uh, the answer to that, again, is it depends. There's not a simple yes or no. You may be able to freeze the funds if those funds are pre-petition funds, meaning funds that were in the account prior to the bankruptcy filing, and those funds are in those and the debt is in default. So in other words, in order to freeze that $1,000 in the account, that $1,000 would have had to been in the account prior to the bankruptcy filing. And the debt we're trying to set off against would have to be in default. If the debt is not in default, then we could not, then, then our client could not freeze those funds pending relief from the stay in order to be set, set off against those funds. All right. Um, and in this day and age with, you know, car loans going to default at a rapid pace, you know, what should the credit union do if they've got in the process right now of repossessing a vehicle and they are uh, made aware that the members filed bankruptcy? Yeah. So this is one that's going to depend on what state you are in. Um, so one of the things that is aggravating to our clients, and you, you see this all the time and you hear this, Blair, you know this, is that while bankruptcy law is this federal law, and it's really more of a procedural law, it's a process law, it interacts with state law. And so what defines certain rights of creditors and debtors is really state law. So the interaction of state law causes sometimes the answer to a bankruptcy-related question to differ whether we're in Florida or Georgia, to give an example. And I'm, I'm using those two states because those two states are the states that I'm licensed in and I practice in um, regularly. So in Florida, the way the law works is if the car is repossessed prior to the bankruptcy filing, then the car belongs to the credit union. If the car is repossessed after the bankruptcy filing, then the car has to go back to the debtor. 
that repossession is improper um, and would violate the automatic stay. In Georgia, it's a little bit different. In Georgia, if you repossess the car and the debtor files bankruptcy, and it is a chapter 13 where they are seeking a reorganization, then the debtor has a right to demand a return of the car and the creditor must return the car. And they can do that up until the point of sale. And so in Georgia, it's it's different. In most states around the country follow the Georgia rule, not the mm-hmm. Florida rule. And so Florida and Alabama are the two kind of exceptions. And as far as I know, the other 48 states follow the Georgia rule. It may not be 48. Um, it's, it's a high number. Um, and so in most of the time when we're dealing with out-of-state clients who are, have a debtor filing bankruptcy in Florida, they're not aware of the uniqueness of Florida law yep. and the fact that they don't have to give the car back. Yeah, that's a good thing in Florida. Um, now, we, I get this all the time, member files, and they've got a bunch of accounts that they're discharging. Is the credit union allowed um, to deny them services as a member? Yeah, so this is a common question, and we all know if, you, if you're in the credit union industry, you know credit unions are unique and that we're cooperatives. And, and part of being a cooperative is this idea of, of membership and denying membership who um, two members or two people who cause the, the membership or the credit union a loss. Since the credit union is owned by its members, if a mm-hmm. member causes the credit union a loss, in the, it, out, outside of the bankruptcy context, you can generally deny membership or deny services. Um, in the bankruptcy context, that is true as well. Um, you can deny services, you can deny losses. Where credit unions need to be careful in, is in how that is communicated with the borrower member who's in bankruptcy. You don't want that letter to read in such a way if you're sending a letter notifying a member that they're being denied services or they're being de- their membership is being terminated, you don't want the letter to read in such a way that it could be construed to be a violation of the automatic stay because it's construed as a collection attempt. Um, if the debtor is represented by an attorney, especially in Florida, we would, ha- we would recommend that that letter go through their attorney and uh, not directly to them. There's, a, there's an argument that communicating with the debtor um, directly who's represented by an attorney could violate the Florida Consumer Collections Practices Act, so you don't want to do that. But to go back to your question and answer it simply, which is sometimes hard for us lawyers to do, um, is yes, you can terminate membership or deny uh, services to a member, even a member in bankruptcy. And uh, we'd be happy to review any letters if you have any questions that on that. Do you like what you've heard so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Head on over to svllaw.com and subscribe to our email list to have it delivered right to your inbox. Now back to the show. Now, in this day and age when everything everybody's online, um, what about what should a credit union do when a member has automatic payments set up on, say, a car loan? Yeah, that's that's a uh, that's a great question, Blair. And uh, what what our advice is there's there's some conflicting case law out out there, and so what we suggest is 
exercising some caution. If, if you have a member who files bankruptcy and their loan is on automatic payment, what you want to be sure of is that you have some indication that the debtor intends to continue to pay that debt. The law does not always view those automatic payments as voluntary payments. Mm -hmm. We know in the industry, we kind of think that 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 ruling or some of those rulings are are don't make sense. They're uh, silly because the borrower can stop the automatic payments if it's a payroll, if it's a, a payment coming from their paycheck, they can go to their employer or the payroll company and stop those. Um, sometimes the debtor forgets. Sometimes the payment is set on an auto pay from an account they have in another financial institution and they forget about it. And the payment transfers after filing bankruptcy, and then they want the payment back. Mm -hmm. And if the credit union doesn't give it back, that can lead to a legal challenge. So our advice is if you have a loan on automatic payment, don't continue to process those payments or allow those payments to post to the loan until you have some indication, some acknowledgement that that's what the debtor intends to do. Now, that acknowledgement can come in many forms. Sure. Sometimes. The members are filing bankruptcy. They don't want to upset their relationship with the credit union. So they'll tell the credit union ahead of time, you know, I've had some medical debts, I've had some business debts, and I'm going to have to file bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. But I want you to know I intend to continue to pay my auto loan on payroll direct deposit. If you have that indication and conversation, and we've notated that in the file, hopefully the person having that conversation with the member is notating it for a file, then, then that can be sufficient. Um, if you get a letter from the debtor or from their attorney saying they intend to pay the loan, or if their bankruptcy documents indicate that. Sure. And so, you know, we, we can go to the bankruptcy records and you can look to see that they filed a statement of intention that says they intend to continue to pay for the car or they, they, they wish to reaffirm or if it's a chapter 13, their plan, their, their plan of reorganization in a chapter 13 indicates that they intend to continue to pay the car directly. Now, if the chapter 13, of course, says they're going to pay through the trustee, mm -hmm. then we know those payments shouldn't be coming to us. So we probably need to, uh, we, the recommendation, of course, would be to stop those payments. Um, if necessary, we need to notify the debtor's lawyer so that they can do whatever they need to do to stop those payments. Um, so that the debtor can fund their plan. Okay. I know we've discussed the automatic stay and things that actions that could be construed as a violation of the automatic stay, but tell us what, in a practical sense, what is a violation of automatic stay and what can happen when that, when that occurs? Yeah. So the a violation of the automatic stay is simply taking an action to collect a debt or taking an action to enforce a debt or taking an action to recover collateral or taking an or, or continuing with an action. And those actions can be everything from sending out collection letters mm -hmm. to proceeding with a lawsuit to continuing to try to repossess a car, continuing with a foreclosure. Um, those are the things normally what we see most of the allegations of client, a credit union violating the automatic stay is, is typically a letter goes out. Yeah. It's usually a mistake. Um, there's some, you know, someone made a mistake, sure. someone forgot to, to, to make the appropriate change in the computer software or flag the account. 
Um, and a, a letter goes out that says, hey, borrower, you're late on this loan. And if you don't pay, this is going to happen to you. It's the typical letters that go out. And that letter just happens to go out to a borrower after they file bankruptcy. That is a violation of the automatic stay. And when you have a violation of the automatic stay, the question of whether you're going to get in trouble really does depend upon whether or not you had knowledge of the bankruptcy at the time you took the act, whether or not the action taken was intentional. Mm -hmm. um, certainly, if you can establish that there was a um, computer glitch or computer error, you, you may not be liable for anything, but the, but the court can award um, damages to the, to the debtor. Mm -hmm. The court can require the creditor to pay attorney's fees to the debtor. And, uh, and if it's bad enough, it can uh, become quite expensive and uh, quite embarrassing or sure. troublesome to the credit. Yep. What's so. the most extreme case you've seen? Well, the most extreme case we we've had that I've that I've had, and I think it's true of probably every lawyer in the firm, was we had a client who um, had years before the bankruptcy hired a lawyer, um, not us, not a, not our <laughs> law firm, another law firm, um, and that lawyer um, was working the account. To be honest, I think the credit union forgot about the account, forgot that it had been assigned to this lawyer. It had been assigned several years earlier. And there had been some changes in the management at the credit union, changes in the leadership and the collection department. So I think this, this account kind of fell by the wayside. But what happened was the debtor uh, contacts the lawyer who's representing the credit union and says, hey, I filed bankruptcy. And uh, whether or not th this part is a little fuzzy, but whether or not that law firm just made a mistake or chose to ignore that that call, the collection attempts continued. This law firm was calling; they were they were really acting like a collection agency, and so the debtor sent a letter. And unfortunately, it continued. There mm -hmm. was an original notice. Um, again, how much of it was intentional versus sure. But when the debtor filed this, um, filed a motion in the bankruptcy court to put this, to stop this and to punish the credit union and its lawyer for violating the automatic stay, the judge looked at what was, what had happened and, uh, decided to make an example of the credit union. It's never and, good. Uh, no, it's not good. And. So there was an order to show cause issue, which is which is an order for someone to appear in court. And the order to appear in court in front of the federal bankruptcy judge was the credit union CEO oh, man. and uh, their lawyer. Um, and uh, and so uh, I got the call to go down there with the CEO. This was in Fort Lauderdale um, bankruptcy court and uh it proceeded to uh, take the brunt of the beating for the client, um, even though the client really had not done anything wrong in that case, um, was not aware of it. And uh, there was even an argument that the initial notice that went to the credit union wasn't a valid address. Um, the judge really didn't want to hear it. The sure. fact is they had a lawyer who was collecting the debt. The credit union viewed that lawyer and the credit union the same. 
And of course, I was the one representing the credit union. The lawyer was there. Um, so so he he got chewed out. I got chewed out. Um, the credit union had to pay a nice um, amount of money to the debtor and her lawyer. And uh, we left uh, thankful that none of us ended up in jail. So uh, that that was by far the worst that I've been involved in. Um, the other the other story that I will tell, and I saw it um, happen. Um, I, I happened to be in court. It wasn't my client. <laughs> and it wasn't. Um, I wasn't involved in the case, but it was a situation where, and this person was pro se, and uh, she owned a small buy here pay here car lot. This was in Georgia, and a uh, long time ago, and she had repossessed the car the debtor's lawyer contacted her said hey you have to give it back she said no i don't he sent her a follow-up letter kind of trying to explain the law she refused the judge issued an order telling her to give it back mm -hmm. she refused and now there was an order to show cause and this woman was in court telling the judge why he was wrong never a good and, idea uh, yeah, that one did not end well. I think she pretty much needed bankruptcy court when the judge was done with her. So uh, that was one I was glad I was not up on uh, representing her um, and not the one taking uh, the, chew the being chewed out by the judge. So these, these can get serious. Um, and even, you know, they're just they're just nuisances for our clients, even the ones that are smaller nuisances yep. for our clients. So um the moral of the story is make sure you have a good process in place. Correct. Correct. Um, and, and this is one I hear all the time. Um, when a credit union gets contacted by a member who's filed bankruptcy and they're represented by an attorney, but they have a question about their account or a reaffirmation agreement, what should they do in that situation? Yeah. So um, the debtor, as a general rule, the debtor, if the debtor is calling in, the credit union can have a conversation with them. But, but the credit union needs to be careful. You never want those words or, you know, the debtor to twist the words they're spoken. So I think how you handle this as a credit union really depends upon the situation. And, and, you know, it depends on, do we have recorded calls where we can prove what was said? How comfortable are we with the training of our staff mm -hmm. and them knowing what they can do and can't do? And then, uh, you know, what's our tolerance for risk? Sure. If, if your tolerance for risk isn't very high, you're probably best if they're represented by a lawyer to say, I'm sorry, you know, all communication needs to go through your lawyer and, and end it there yeah. and reach out to the lawyer. Um, so, you know, those are things that we kind of, when I'm asked those questions and how to approach that, it really, I like to give the client kind of the whole picture and let them decide what their level of risk and tolerance is for that situation. But, but clearly the safest is to, to limit it or not do it. Sure. At what point does a credit union need to contact their attorney when they're aware of a bankruptcy? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, one of the things that we try to do is educate our clients on what, when and what they can do their, themselves. Mm -hmm. Because not every bankruptcy case, not every bankruptcy filing, is it necessary that the credit union hire a lawyer or hire us? And so, you know, Blair, you know this, and um, hopefully educating people about this. But one of the things we do every year is host a, a, a seminar for credit unions in yep. um, in July, and that's an annual thing we do. And at those seminars, we include hands-on training 
for credit unions on handling certain things in bankruptcy without a lawyer. Um, so um, there are things that the credit union can do. The credit union can file their own proofs of claim in bankruptcy court if, if they've been trained properly. Now, again, you need to know what you're doing. You don't mm -hmm. want to file a proof of claim and not know what you're doing because you can lose money. You can miss out on rights. You can cost the credit union a significant amount of money. But if you've been trained, you have a good process in place and you know what you're doing, you can do it yourself. Same with reaffirmation agreements. You don't need a lawyer to prepare and send out and get back reaffirmation agreements. But but again, you got to know what you're doing. You got to be able to do it right. Um, but when it comes to needing to lift the stay, when it comes to objecting to a plan, when it comes to a debtor trying to redeem collateral, you know, uh, at a low value. Those are times where you need your lawyer involved. And, and what you don't want to do in bankruptcy is wait on getting your lawyer involved. There are some real strict timetables in bankruptcy yep. court. Um, these timetables are, are, don't have a lot of forgiveness to them. In state court, we have a lot of timetables, but a lot of times there's exceptions and ways to extend sure. timetables and ways to file things late and get them accepted. In bankruptcy court, that that is rare and uh, in some cases impossible. So those timetables are, are hard and fast. So if a credit union thinks it needs its lawyer, mm -hmm. it needs to reach out to its lawyer right away. Yeah. Well, Jim, I think that was a good... Um kind of overview obviously bankruptcy is very um detailed a lot of a lot of intricacies that go into it but um i think that was a great discussion about kind of you know a little bit of the ins and outs of bankruptcy um so i think we'll stop there um i ask all the listeners to go um thanks for listening please go and subscribe to the podcast and like it um, remember, you can find all the episodes at our website. That's www.svllaw.com forward slash podcast. Uh, again, go to our website. There's um, that as well as a host of other um, information regarding us. And I will talk to you all soon. Thanks for joining us this week on Banking on Credit Unions. Make sure to visit our website, www.svllaw.com slash podcast, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. When it comes to credit union law, the Sorensen Van Leuven Law Firm has you covered. Reach out to us at svllaw.com because every credit union deserves top legal representation. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode.